Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Before we get started, I wanted to advise anyone who may have littles around that today's guest is sex coach and podcast host, Anna Lopez. Sex is the main topic, and we do talk extensively about it. You may not want your littles to listen, but believe me, you will want to stick around. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Like, I have no joke. I have been waiting for this interview all week. What a, like, we're doing this on a Friday. What a wonderful way to end the week. Right? Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Um, yeah, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> let's talk, yeah, we're going to, before we get into it, you know, like I told you, before we get into the chisme, and today, you know, we're all about talking the sex chisme. We're going to get into the wine. So today I'm actually drinking a wine from Greece. Cool. It's called Teros. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but let's pretend that I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Evirano 2005. It's from Crete. So it's actually a, this type of grape, the Vidiano grape is actually native to the Crete area of Greece. And it's being bat brock from like almost the brink of extinction. So nice. This one definitely smells very, very tropically. It definitely does not smell very like it definitely has some floral and fruity notes. And then I told you I have my little my little wheel here that tells you the different things that it could be. So I'm trying to see. Oh, you know what? I smell like apricot. Melon. Mm, I don't know what else I smell, but I know it's really good because I've tasted it before. And the wine bar, amazing. yeah, the wine bar, my local wine bar, um, gave me a bottle. So if you're ever in San Diego, Whetstone Wine Bar, it's owned by he is a Panamanian and Filipino. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Bye. <laughs> so are you partaking in the in the wine today, Anna? Yes, I'm not drinking wine. Well, I'm not drinking right now. I have some clients after this, but I will be winding down with a nice cognac. Oh, ooh. My, my drink of choice. <laughs> nice, fancy. Well, I'm super excited because this episode is legit, like all about sex. And I, no limits, girl. So whatever we get into, we get into. That's what I say. Sounds good. And I was listening to some of your episodes beforehand. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to ask 
Asta, Lemon Asta. So, <laughs> but let me kind of just run through your bio. You are a Latino whose purpose in life is to bring science based sex education to marginalized communities and get Latinas talking about sex, which we will be doing. <laughs> You are currently pursuing a master's in of social work and a master's of education in human sexualities from why is it um, is it Widener? Am I saying it correctly? <laughs> yeah, Widener, Widener yeah. University. And you are already a certified sex coach and owner of Sex and Spanglish. So with that, you empower Latinx women and those who have been socialized as women with science-based sex education as well as coaching through sexual issues and frustrations. So you say your goal is to get your clients to embrace their culture and their sexuality, because I think a lot of times in our culture, we're not taught that. And we're not even, there's a lot of things that we're not taught or we're shamed for. So we'll definitely get into that. But I want to start in regards to how you, I mean, did you grow up with that traditional, like nobody talked to you? Hat, like nobody said anything. It's always like, Shh, you know, some, <laughs> right. but then every like, then all of your primas are pregnant and everything. And you're like, well, somebody's doing something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a very unique perspective. So my mom is German, right? So I'm half German, I'm half Mexican. And so my mom was always super open about sex and just talking about, you know, like our bodies and very like, when we would go to the doctor, for example, if I was getting a physical, she would explain like, this is okay because he's a professional and because I'm here and, you know, like really giving me that knowledge. And I didn't necessarily understand that that was a sex talk at the time. So I was like, okay, this is just what we do. Normal, whatever. But then I would come and visit my dad and I would be talking to my cousins who are a little bit younger than me. And like the conversations were super different or I would say something that wasn't necessarily sexual, but maybe like say a body part name that like the actual name. Right. And I would get like the look <laughs> like El Malojo, and I was like, the oh. side eye, the whole, like, <laughs> yeah, the, like, like the you oh. better shut up side eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the little pinch. Yeah. And I was just like, OK, this is this is weird. And then as I grew up, I was rec- I more recognize, you know, the differences. And I was like, oh, wow, like we don't talk about it on this side, but over here we do. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, And I was always super into like education. And so I was always super into like how education really, you know, and like I went to public schools. So in public schools, it's really about like, you know, just one way of teaching and not really altering it to fit, you know, whoever you're speaking to, whoever you're teaching to. And um, I tutor on the side. And so that was really important for me to, you know, incorporate that. Um, And so I recognized about how sex education is impacting different populations and in particular, you know, the Latino population um, and how that's affecting us. So I totally get what you're saying. My mom. So my mom. And again, I don't know, like, if this is really true or not. Apparently, I am the result of my mom losing her virginity here. I look at I'm blasting my mom out. (laughs) She doesn't listen to this anyways. (laughs) At 21, right? That's what she tells me. But again, would she really tell me the truth? I don't know. (laughs) And but so it was for the first almost four years of my life. It was just me and my mom. And I would get she would say small things like, don't let anybody do this. Don't let anybody make you feel uncomfortable. Don't let anybody like, I remember 
she would say things in a kid appropriate way. And then my tia, my tia Maggie, she would tell all the girls, put a quarter between your legs and don't let it fall out. <laughs> that was hers. <laughs> like that was her thing. But then when you think about it, she's putting it all on us, right? You're putting it like they put it all on the girls, like the guys, it's okay. They can do whatever, but we're the ones who have to be careful. We're the ones who, and I feel like this moment that's happening right now, and actually it's not even a moment. These are like, I feel like these moments continue to arise and we keep trying to say something and nothing really changes in regards to why, you know, we don't teach boys how to be respectful. We teach girls how to protect themselves, like how that doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think particularly in our community, we always talk in the sex ed is very, like you said, it's very one-sided and it's really not even about sex. It's more about your bodies are changing and this is what your body does. At least that's when I was in school and who the hell knows what they teach now. It was just, it was very much mechanical, right? And I don't even remember if they talked about actual sex or not. It was more of gender, like what, as a gender, what does your body go through? I feel Mm -hmm. like it was more of that. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like, and then at home, I don't remember getting taught about like, oh, your body's going to do this. I mean, I did a little bit because my mom was more on the open side, but I had friends that their parents were like, oh, like, I don't know what a period is, or maybe I do, but I don't know exactly what it is. I just know like I bleed or whatever. Right. And like the misinformation and the really lack of knowledge about our own bodies. Right. And like, we're taught, like, just don't get pregnant. Don't get anyone pregnant, right? And then or, you're like, well, how how does that even happen? You have kids that got pregnant right, and they're yeah. like, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> right, you know? exactly. No, I definitely remember, I'm going to be hitting my thing again on accident, my desk. I say thing and we're talking about sex. That can be no lot <laughs> <laughs> um, No masturbating on this yeah. call. <laughs> like, hey. I'm really happy. (laughs) No, so my mom did talk about that. So the first time I ever got my cycle or I got my period, I was not freaked out. I like called my mom and it was like the one time she was actually working because my mom (laughs) would like get a job for a few months. She'd be like, I don't like it. You know, we were very fortunate, but I called her and I said, um, I think I just started my period and then she's like, oh, okay, I'll come home and I'll bring you whatever. Cause I think by that time my mom had already had a hysterectomy and there was nothing in the house and I'm the oldest of three. Um, when you had those, those discussions, at what point did you, I know you said you realized like, oh, on this side of the family, we don't really talk about it. When, what was your first like experience in being able, like where you're like, you know what? I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. Cause when you had your first sexual experience, was it because I think a lot of Latinos, like we were saying, you, a lot of them kind of don't know what's going on. If you're not taught things just progress and you're like, Oh wait, Oh, I'm pregnant. Wait, what did I do? Like if you're not really being taught again, there hitting my desk, <laughs> but when you finally were ready to take that first experience for yourself, did you feel comfortable because you were you had a mom who was open in regards to that? Or was that something that you still felt shame about? 
Yeah. So I, I, I'm so glad you asked this. I don't think I've ever been asked this um, on a podcast. Yeah. Um, so I actually initiated my first, uh, sexual encounter. He was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, like it, he like, I think like his dick fell out of his boxers or something like that. And he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like he was like very like, um, not upset, but like apologetic, right? Like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, it's fine. And like, I kind of initiated it. And I felt really empowered in that moment and very comfortable. And like, this is what I want, like saying what I wanted, saying what I didn't want And I mean, it wasn't the best thing ever, but I felt very empowered and I didn't feel shame about it. I didn't go and like tell my mom, like, Hey, this is what I did. Right. <laughs> but I felt very empowered at like over my own body. And I think that having those conversations around that and really, um, you know, talking about like, Hey, I'm not on birth control. Like let's use a condom and like very, I was very comfortable having those conversations, even though I had never had those conversations before with a person, because this is my first sexual encounter, um, really recognizing that I had that like bodily autonomy. Whereas I had sisters who, you know, were having sex and had kids as teen moms and things like that. And so really recognizing that maybe they, I haven't asked them about it, which now thinking about it, I guess I should, like maybe they didn't feel the the autonomy, you know, to be able to ask those questions, or maybe they didn't know about it. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. They're a little bit older than me. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I should have those conversations with them. Um, that would be interesting, especially now, right? Having those yeah, conversations. Yeah, definitely. And they're my dad's daughters. So my, they're like, they weren't raised with my mom. And so it's like an entirely different. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would totally be very different. I think I was the initiator of my first time too. Nice. That that I'm thinking about it, but it was more out of curiosity than anything else. Yeah. It wasn't with somebody like the only I don't the only thing that I regret is that it wasn't with somebody that I loved cuz that first time I feel like and and please tell me if you agree or not or I feel like that first time can really shape the way you view sex. Like for a very long time. And it was a boy I had a crush on. And, and I say boy, cause we were kids, like we were teenagers. Yeah. And it was a boy I had a crush on and who would always be hanging around. And my mom had left for something with my sisters. I was home by myself and I saw him across the street and I was like, Hey, come over. And I don't know, like, I don't know <laughs> if that's, yeah. I don't know if I like in, it was so long ago. I mean, girl, it was, I'm in my forties right. now. <laughs> I don't remember the details, but I do remember that I did invite him over and I don't remember if I invited him over specifically for that, or if it was just like, I wanted to make out with him and then it went to something else. But obviously I, I know I did have an inkling because I did have condoms, which I stole because I was too, I was a teenager too embarrassed <laughs> to buy condoms. So I always say, if you're embarrassed to buy condoms, you should not be having sex, right? If you're embarrassed to buy condoms, then that's probably a sign that you're not ready to have sex. Um, so, but I stole them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you steal them from someone or from the store? From the store, girl. I stole them from like, I think it was thrifties or something. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have those anymore. <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> so for y'all that don't know, that's Rite Aid. <laughs> yeah, that's Rite Aid now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
But at least I was aware enough of having safe sex that I got yeah. my hands on condoms somehow, yeah. even if I stole them. So thrifties right. slash Rite-Aids, please do not come after me. <laughs> I think the, uh, whatchamacallit has expired, the statute of limitations has expired, right. so I can say this. <laughs> but do you think that when you, that first experience, do you think that does shape your view of sex in the, for the future? Yeah, I definitely think that it can. And I also think that it's like the um, importance that we place on that, right? Like as a society. So it just, I think it depends on the person. It can, but you know, your fifth experience, right? Can have the most impact or your sixth or whatever, right? And I think it just depends on the importance you place on that specific encounter. And so for me, a lot of my work is, you know, navigating about mindset. Like what is that importance to you? And realizing like, hey, this already happened. Maybe it was a horrible experience, but how can you look at that in a way that's going to like serve you for your future? Because really dwelling on like, oh, this was like a shitty experience and now I don't get this thing back, right? I don't get to redo this experience. Mm -hmm. It's not very helpful. Um, And so really recognizing that like, how can you change that? Yeah, I mean- like I said, I, if, if there was one thing I would change, I would change that. I would want it to be with somebody that I truly care about because I think we forget that when we have sex, it's an exchange of energy. And is this person somebody, and look, whatever you decide to do, cause look, I've done my thing, <laughs> <laughs> but I also, and some things I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm not going to go back. You can't change something. I'm not going to regret it. You learn from whatever you think you should learn from you take away from that what you will. But I think for me, being that my first time was, and I'm, if I'm being very honest, it wasn't meaningful. Like it wasn't a meaningful experience for me. I feel like that was set a pattern for me for a while of there was no meaning behind sex beyond the physical pleasure of it because I didn't have that connection with that first person. And it took a while before I had a connection with somebody. And uh, so I think for, I can only speak for myself in regards to that. But I think that for me, it set a pattern for a little bit in regards to that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that happens, like, you know, like I said, it can happen from any sexual experience. Sometimes we like disassociate from ourselves after that and we really just like get in our heads we're not even in our bodies and we're just like having sex to have sex right like oh this is supposed to feel good and then we keep having it and it's not yeah not really addressing the problem and it's from that like disassociation of oh I'm just here like the going with emotion right versus you know being in the moment and really enjoying it And I want to get back to that because I know your last episode was in regards to that, in regards to like what makes a good sexual experience for yourself. But before we go into that, I want to know like, so what made you decide this is what you wanted to do? This is an area that obviously within our community, within the Latino community and probably across communities of color, but particularly within our community, because this is what we know. It's it's something that is shamed and revered at the same time. We have a very like, I think as a country, we have it. But in our community, it's very much like the Madonna whore complex. It's, you know, don't say anything. But then why are you getting pregnant? It's like all of these 
really opposite dynamics when it comes to sex in our community. So what made you like, let me dive into this, you know, I want to get into it. (laughs) Yeah. So my earliest experience um, with sex or my earliest memory, I guess, is not even being told about sex. And I think this is because I was raised with an older brother. He's eight years older than me. So at the time he was like a teenager, I was like five. And so these little neighbor girls used to come over and we used to always hang out. You know, I had a swing set, so we would hang out. And my earliest memory talking about sex is with them. And I was telling them about a dream I had or something like that. And I don't remember in detail what was said. It was probably like completely false. I don't even know what was said, but I just remember talking about sex with them. And that always kind of stuck with me. And I think maybe I would just be like Mithi Chin, like in my mom's business or in my brother's business when I wasn't supposed to be. But either way, um, so that always kind of stuck with me. And then, like I said, my mom was very open with sex. And so it was like something that was like normal. And then I was always like from a child, like three, four years old, I was really into education and just like learning. And so that's what I thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a teacher And I started even tutoring like when I was in high school and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a teacher. And then I got to college and I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. (laughs) So I was like, "Okay, well, what do I do? Uh, So I really like, you know, learning about the brain and how the mind works. And I was like, "Okay, psychology. Cool. Let's do this. So I got into psychology, not really knowing what I was going to do. Um, And I met a human sexualities professor who wasn't even my professor. And she was like, you know, you can do sex therapy. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to do therapy for people and just talk about sex. But the way that it was explained to me, I was under the impression I had to do um, marriage and family therapy. And to me, that sounded really white. And I was like, my people don't do that. I don't want to talk about their like couple problems or like whatever their family problems. I don't care. I just want to talk about sex. And so I was finishing my bachelor's degree and it was like coming to time to decide like, okay, am I going to do marriage and family therapy? Am I going to do a different master's program? Like, what am I going to do? And a friend told me like, why don't you just get into social work? She was like, you know, that's focused on oppressed populations. You'll have more options if you decide you don't want to do therapy. And I was like, you're a genius. So (laughs) I decided to go into social work. So I was like looking at programs and that's how I found Widener. So it's a dual degree. So I'm doing both of the masters at the same time. So I can graduate and take a test to become a licensed clinical social worker, which essentially you could do therapy. And I also get the master's in human sexuality education. So when I started that program, I also found a sex coaching program. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let me, you know, me being like type A personality, let me do all the things. I was about to say, like, you're doing like a ton of stuff all at the same time. (laughs) I, I don't know why I did this to myself, but yeah, so I got into the, the coaching certification. I finished that and, I, you know, I'm still getting the sex, you know, education portion also from the master's program. Um, and along the lines, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do therapy anymore. I really want to do coaching. And for me, um, the difference is like therapy is more like diagnosing and healing And for coaching, it's more like transformational, right? Like I want to work with like functional populations that really just want to enhance their sex life and, you know, gain, regain that um, bodily autonomy. And so of course I use like, you know, therapeutic aspects in with my clients, but coaching is my jam. So here we are. (laughs) I love that. But you're very creative in how you, 
and how you talk about it because you have a podcast called Sex and Spanglish mm-hmm. and you talk about that. So let's kind of go back to what we were talking about before in regards to how you drive pleasure because ultimately, and I'm sure people have heard it before and you're going to hear it again. The biggest sex <laughs> organ is your brain, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It all comes from your mind, like anything. And that's pain and pleasure, right? Like, I mean, to an extent, but yeah, pleasure comes from your mind, right? So a lot of times we, we go into, you know, a sexual encounter thinking like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then we get in our head in the middle of it and then it's shitty, right? And we know that this is true because it kind of sounds false. We're like, okay, whatever. Like, no, I need like a decent sized dick for it to feel good and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is that you've had sex with the same person probably, you know, multiple times, whatever. And it's not always, you know, that 10, right? Like sometimes it's Sometimes it's a fat, you know, like it goes Sometimes you're like, get off of me. I'm so irritated with you. (laughs) Like sometimes it's not consistent and we like to blame other things. We're like, oh, I'm just really stressed out, you know, work, the kids, you know, whatever. But all that goes back to like what's going on in your head. And so the idea is that when we allow ourselves to feel pleasure, like it's kind of like the, it's the fight or flight response in our body. So if we're allowing ourselves to be relaxed and not be in that fight or flight response, then we're able to feel more pleasure. It's going to feel better. But if we're in that fight or flight response, when we're worried or anxious, right, that sends our body into that fight or flight response. So our body or our brain thinks that we're running from a fire or a dinosaur or whatever, right? (laughs) So it's like, okay, it's not time to get wet right now and have sex and feel pleasure. Like we're dying, right? Your body thinks you're dying when in actuality, you're just worried about the dishes that you have to wash and the kids that need to be bathed, right? Yeah. And then sometimes you can just be thinking about somebody not doing anything and you're like, oh, holy hell. Exactly. Ooh, like you exactly. Get really that's why erotica works so well, right? Like Fifty Shades of Grey, which th- that's a whole different topic. I'm like anti Fifty Shades of Grey, but like erotica. I had to wait. I just have to say I had to read all of them because once you started the series, you have to finish the series. <laughs> and you know, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's why erotica works. That's why porn works, right? It's nothing that's like touching you. It's in your imagination. That's why fantasies work. And so your mind really is like the source of your pleasure. And so the work that I do with my clients is really working with them to recognize that like you have bodily autonomy and I just need to point that out to you or remind you that you have bodily autonomy and like you're responsible for any pleasure that you've ever had you're solely responsible for that. It wasn't like your ex that you keep going back to because like he has a good dick or something, right? Like you might've preferred that, right? But it was you, you were allowing yourself to feel that pleasure. And so you can give yourself the permission to have that pleasure again. So speaking of erotica and porn, do you think that like, I'm more of an auditory person. Like I don't necessarily need to see stuff. Like if I were, if I ever went that route, I don't necessarily need to see it. To me, sounds are more pleasurable than, than seeing it. But do you think that erotica and porn can damage how people view sex and how they are aroused? Or do you think that 
I mean, I'm sure that, yes, obviously there's definitely, I think, probably benefits and everything to that. But what do you think the downsides are or do you feel like there are downsides to that? Yeah. So yes and no. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, like like you said, it can be very, very beneficial. Right. Um, And the thing is that sometimes so we're our brains are lazy and us as human beings, we're lazy, even like the most like type A personalities. We're super lazy. If we know a certain way is more efficient or like it works better, then we'll do that. Right. And so a lot of times people that watch porn frequently, they'll be like, oh, well, it's a lot easier for me to get off with this porn. So I'm going to do that instead of exploring other avenues. So then that kind of like monotony comes in. So it can be a downside in that sense. And then when we're talking about erotica or other external things, so even like toys, for example, we get so used to, oh, this only takes me like five minutes instead of 30 minutes. So I'm going to do this instead. And so we kind of get stuck in that rut. So it's not really that we can't get out of that. You know, it all goes back to the mind, but we just get really used to that, right? Like, oh, this is just a routine. This is what we do. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that is a downside to it, Um, but it can also really enhance you and it's not necessary, right? But it's just an enhancement. Right. So talking about sex toys, what... There's toys for men, there's toys for women, there's toys for couples, there's, you know, whether it's two men, two women, whatever, right? Or they, you know, I, cause I want to make sure that we recognize he, she, they, them, right? Mm-hmm. So what, like, what are the things that people, when it comes to sex toys, what are the mo- most frequent questions that you get in regards to, to sex toys and how people should be using them or should people be using them? Yeah. So I think one of the most common questions is, should I be using one? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, that's totally up to the person, right? I think that a lot of times people come to me for like the right answer. And I'm always like, you already have the right answer. You get to decide. (laughs) That's the great thing about being an adult. You get to do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, So true. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, I think they're a great thing to add into the bedroom. I mean, they're absolutely not necessary. Um, I like using props, right? So I like to refer to them as props because it's not just toys. When we think toys, we think like, you know, anal plugs or dildos and those are great. But then there's also props that you can use like, you know, different oils or I don't know, like, um, why am I blanking out on the thing that you use to cover your eyes? Oh, blindfold. <laughs> blindfold. <laughs> or, you know, different things like that, like pillows and things like that. Like those are all. Pillows are underrated. I think pillows right. are yes. so underrated, especially yes. for women. Right. To get your hips in the place that right. you feel like you're going to get the best penetration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they're all looking for the right answer, right? And it has to be labeled sex. And that's not necessarily true, right? So um, yeah, I think they're a great, you know, um, enhancement to the bedroom. And of course it has to be, you know, if you want to use it with a partner, I definitely suggest like shopping for it together. Um, And then if you're going to use it on your own, definitely finding out what it is that you like. Don't just buy one because it has great reviews, right? You want to look for like, what do I want to stimulate? Do I want something that's versatile? Do I want something that's like just for one part of my body? Obviously looking for body safe materials. What kind of material might benefit you? Like, what are you trying to get out of it? So I like to look at like as results based, right? Like, are you looking to orgasm for the first time? Are you looking to like, 
maybe squirt for the first time? Are you just looking for something that's like a clit stimulator? Like definitely looking at the results base and then going from there, like working backwards. Okay. So Um, let me ask you about squirting. Is that real? And what is, can every woman achieve that? Yes. So going back to the mind. Like do tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So going back to mine, it definitely is achievable. I think that a lot of times people think like, oh, I'm peeing and that's not the case. And so I do have a couple clients that have come to me and like, hey, I think I'm peeing the bed when I orgasm. And so the way to tell if this is you, um, you're going to go pee before you masturbate and you're going to wipe yourself and you're going to like examine the paper, smell it, you know, look at it. Then go masturbate and, you know, wipe yourself afterwards. Don't pee yet. Wipe yourself afterwards and then compare the two. And that sounds like really gross, but you'll see a difference, right? You'll see if you're not peeing yourself, it's actual, you know, ejaculation, then you're going to notice the difference. There's a different consistency. There's a different smell. It might smell a little bit like pee because just like with semen, there are traces of pee in there, but it's, it's not urine. (laughs) And yes, every woman has the capability to, or every vulva owner has the capability to do that. They, it's just about, you know, trusting your, your body. And really, I think that, um, you know, going to a pelvic floor therapist is very beneficial. I think those are highly underrated and I'm not sure that a lot of insurances cover those. Uh, mine didn't, I just paid cash for mine. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go. I don't care. Um, but definitely going to a sex positive pelvic floor therapist and really finding out if your muscles are even capable of doing that at that point in time, because if they're not strong enough, you're not going to be able to score, even if your mind is there. How do you feel about yoni eggs and also the like stainless steel? Oh, the Kegel balls? Yeah, the Kegel balls. Yeah. So I've always, so I don't really use them that often. I do have them. I don't, I never really got into using them, um, but I do have them, which is really weird. Um, And I know that can be very, very beneficial. But when I talked to a pelvic floor therapist, she said only certain people should be using them. And so that's why I'm now I'm a huge, after seeing this pelvic floor therapist, I'm a huge proponent of going to see one because if people like, if they're having painful sex, Doing Kegels, even without the weights or using the yoni eggs or the Kegel balls can actually be detrimental to the vaginal, you know, muscles and things like that. And so it's really important to see one first before you actually like try those on your own. So I think it kind of depends on the anatomy of the person. Um, And so for that, I definitely suggest seeing a sex positive uh, pelvic floor therapist. So I had posted about what we were doing and I asked if people had questions and I meant to do this like 24 hours before we did it, but I did it what two hours or an hour and a half. And I still got a few questions. So the first question I got was how do you tell a guy what he's doing? Isn't doing it for you without hurting his feelings. Oh, I I have an opinion on this too. Oh yeah. Go ahead. I want to hear you. Oh, okay. So my, So my opinion on it is I, if a guy has not, is not doing what I need to be done in the middle of it, I will move his hand, move his whatever thing to the point where I do and just say, this actually, this feels better. Oh my gosh. You know, and reiterate like with verbal cues of, okay, now, now we're cooking with gas. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Right. So 
That's what I would do. Um, and then afterwards, and if it continues to happen, then definitely have the conversation, but not saying like what you're doing is wrong or what somebody is doing is wrong. But this for me, like, oh, I know that this probably felt good for with somebody else. But for me, this actually feels better because I think most people, men, women, they, them, he, she, they, them. I think most people want whoever their partner is to feel good. And if you don't want your partner to feel good, why are you even having sex with them? Like seriously. So I think having, you have to just be open. You can't be embarrassed. And I think that sometimes the only way to know if it feels good is you have to know your body. So if you're not exploring for yourself, what feels good, it's very difficult to share that with somebody else. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I just want to add to that. Yeah. Redirections. My favorite thing in the world. (laughs) In the moment. In the moment. Yes. In the moment. And sometimes even outside. But yeah. Redirection. So like this feels really great. And I would prefer if you did it in this way or that same motion, but over here or, you know, just like a redirection and really like those positive verbal cues. Right. Like I love that we're doing this. But right now that doesn't feel great because we might do something like even, you know, whoever we can do something or someone can do something to us that yesterday it felt great. And now it doesn't feel great. Right. It's like, eh, not feeling good today. Right. It's like, Oh, today I wanted tacos, but you know, tomorrow maybe I want right? It's just like a preference for me, right? It's not always something that you don't like. And so it's really about in the moment redirecting. Like, I love that you're playing with my breasts right now, but hey, like, let's do it this way instead. Or can you like lighten up a little bit or maybe even go harder, you know, whatever. Redirection. Love that. Definitely, it's important to know what your body wants, right? Or what you want. And so, yeah, definitely self-exploration. That is a huge thing in being able to recognize what you like and what you don't like and recognizing that if something is painful or something just isn't doing it for you, you don't have to do it because your partner likes it. You can say no and that's okay. And if they, you know, respond in a way that is not, I guess, nice is the word, or they respond negatively to it, then you get, you get to end the session. Like you always have that bodily autonomy. Once you say yes, you can say no afterwards. It's not like yes forever. That's not how that works. Yeah. I love, no, I love that because to continue, like continual consent has to happen. Definitely. Um, so for something that's like, um, I guess a larger problem, if, or, you know, something that's happening continually, like, you know, having the conversation, but having it outside of the bedroom. So not before sex, not after sex, right? Not after you just got done having sex, definitely schedule a time. So that sounds really like cheesy, but saying, Hey, you know what? I really want to have this conversation with you is now a good time. If they oh, say I've that, not done that. I mean, first of all, right now I'm not even doing anything with anybody except myself. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just like, but when I was in a relationship, I've had it like very, I, if, if I've had, I've had to have a couple of those conversations and it's usually been like during a TV show or a rerun or a commercial, I'm like, Oh, remember what that? Oh yeah. It actually feels like, because I, <laughs> and so it wasn't a full on conversation. I felt like it felt more, at least to me, it was like, Oh, it was kind of more nonchalant type of mm, thing yeah. where I didn't make it a big deal. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, the response was fine. It was cool. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, but at least for me, I think that especially this one particular person, I think had I said, 
I want to talk about this and I want to sit down, it would have not been the bet like received as well because mm, it meant, yeah. it's like one of those we need to talk type of moments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I really like that perspective. Um, and I think depending on what it is, right? Um, but I really like planning out the conversation ahead of time, like especially for individuals that have a really hard time, like with confrontation, with saying what they want, like talking about it, really like basically role playing the conversation <laughs> and how it's going to go before you have it can be very beneficial, right? It's going to give you the practice that you've already had the conversation. Um, and so, you know, saying like, hey, is now a good time? Because you don't want someone that like just got home from work. They're like pissed off in a, you know, in a mood, whatever, right? You really want to make sure that they're in the headspace to actually receive this information. Yeah. Um, specifically, if you're concerned about, you know, any type of reaction they might have, or maybe they're preoccupied with something else um, and complying with that consent, right? If they say, no, today is not a good day. Okay. When can we schedule to have this talk? Because I want to have this talk. Yeah. Um, and then sitting down and having the conversation. No, that's really good advice. So this is outside of like my very super close friend circle. This is the most publicly I've ever talked about my sex life, which I'm not <laughs> I'm really. Honored. Yeah. And but I think it's something that needs to be talked about. That's why we we had like to me, that's why I was really excited to have this conversation to ask these questions. But I think because we always keep it so behind closed doors and I there's definitely things that I would not share because. There's definitely things that need to stay behind closed doors. But generally, I was like, okay, what am I comfortable? I had to, I really had to tell myself, what am I comfortable sharing in this space? Because I've talked previously about my sexual assault. I've talked about different things. But in this instance, I'm like, oh, my heart's fluttering a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> It's a little nerve wracking. I this is the one episode I need none of my family to listen to. You're like, don't support me this week. Don't, yeah, don't support <laughs> me in this one. Okay, the next one is: What if you don't like giving blowjobs? Don't do it. That's yeah. simple. You, yeah. There's no need to. I mean, if you don't like, if this is for anything, if you don't like it, don't do it. And if your partner or partners has a problem with that, then you shouldn't be having sex with them. Um, the next one is the guy I'm dating wants a threesome and I don't know how I feel about it. I I, I actually have it. Can I, I definitely have an, ex, uh, an opinion on that. Um, yeah, go for it. First of all, having a, I think having a threesome is definitely something that's very, very personal. You have to just like, is that something that's going to affect your whole relationship or not? But I also feel like sometimes people use threesomes as a way to start an open relationship. And I will say I've not ever been in an open relationship. So I but I have had people approach me that have been in open relationships or I've had friends tell me that they're talking about being in open relationships. My personal opinion on it is you can't change the rules in the middle of the game because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. So if you go into a relationship saying we, this is both what we like and we want to both have an open relationship, then that's one thing, but, and whatever you want, you want, like what you define, you get to define your relationship, however you want to define your relationship. But the people that I know 
that have tried to do an open relationship after they've been in a committed relationship always break up because it's always one person's idea that wants it more than the other. And the other one goes along to not lose the other person. And it just spirals out of control. So if uh, if your partner is approaching you about having a threesome, first of all, you definitely, like you said before, like you get to decide if that's something you want to do or not. But I personally would have the deeper conversation of, not only why do you want it, but what does this mean? Is this something like you want to continue to explore? Because that, if it is, then you might, then you might have your answer right then and there and just be like, no, nah, thanks, not for me. Or maybe you are like, yeah, cool for me. Yeah, definitely. So I love this question. And at the same time, I think when a lot of people ask questions like this, they're looking for the right answer, right? Or for validation of the answer that they've already came up with in their head. And so really recognizing like, do you want one? Yes or no? Like it's a simple, it's not, I do, but it's like either you do or you don't. So you get to decide and maybe you need time to decide that and that's okay. And recognizing that whatever decision you make is the right decision for you. And then also I love Jessica that you mentioned that, you know, having that conversation, like, is this something that, you know, you just want to like do a one-time thing? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, what is the, like, you just ask this questions and that's kind of like all we know, right? So it sounds like your partner asked this question, but is there like a larger conversation around that? Um, are they looking for an open relationship? Are they looking for this as like just an excuse to have sex outside of the relationship? And of course that's ultimately their decision to make, but then you also get to decide what is it that you want um, within that? So yeah, I do think that it's part of a larger conversation but also first deciding what is it that you want and that their decision to, you know, want a threesome or to express that, that desire doesn't mean anything about you or your value. Absolutely. And like I said, everybody has to decide what define their relationship, however right. they want to define it. I think, you know, we have such a, we have such a negative connotation in regards to sex in our country. And I feel like a lot of that is changing because I'm somebody who grew up going to church, who grew up with this very divis and, and being Latino and growing up in the church and being told like, you can't do any of these things because you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, I at one time talked to a pastor and, and the pastor was like, if and it was a female pastor. It wasn't a male pastor. So let me just like, it wasn't like I'm having this sex conversation with a male pastor <laughs> on our own. right? It was more of the fact that we were just, there was a few of us having this conversation and the pastor was like, if sex was only for procreation, God wouldn't have made it enjoyable. And I think it kind of switched a lot of people's thinking or like, because I've heard people say, well, that you shouldn't be married if you're not planning on having, I don't know. So I got an argument with somebody from church because I was like, they basically said, you know, if you're not having kids, why are you on this earth? And I was like, yo, whoa, right. we need to calm this down because that not everybody's purpose is to have a child. Right. Some people are designed because their gift is giving in a different way. And maybe it's not in that way. So 
Sorry, I digress. That just got me into a little thing. <laughs> no, definitely. And there's people that do have children and don't take care of them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, believe me, I didn't think I was going to be in my 40s, never married, not having kids. I absolutely love kids. But I also have found that I always have kids around me. So I get to be like Thea J. I get to kind of have that maternal thing with my friends' kids and with kids I work with. And I have a lot of love to give. So, you know, if I end up with somebody with kids, I will fully love them. I have no, like, doubt about that. So... Whether they come from my body or not does not determine my love for a child. Right. Um, (laughs) The next one is, is going down, is not going down on a girl, a deal breaker. I've had bad experiences. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's individualistic because some people it's, they don't care for it and that's totally fine. Right. So I think, you know, it just depends. Like if you, if you as a giver like to do that and your partner doesn't, like you have to respect that. And also recognizing that someone that might be a deal breaker. So like you get to decide, right? Like maybe if you really like doing it, then find someone that really likes getting it, right? Like that's your match. Yeah, you have to find your match. Cause I all I know is like stuff better be reciprocal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you know what I mean? Like it, you can't expect at least a I know a lot of myself included in this. I'm not going to lie. You know, there there has to be reciprocation. And I know a lot of friends feel the same way. And I know and I know that people have had experiences where they have. Then the guy doesn't reciprocate. And they're like, peace out. I would be, too. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. Yeah. Like, I would be, too. If you're expecting me to. I don't. Do you remember? Did you ever watch Sex in the City? Yeah. And they're talking about uh, Samantha one time. He's she's like talking about a blowjob. She's like, they don't call it a job for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, it's that's like the the demise, right? The sex negative culture that we live in. Right. We're not talking about sex. So then we don't talk about with our partners and like what our expectations are. Like, this is something that I really enjoy. When do you think you need to have those conversations? Like when you're, whether it's obviously if it's a one night stand or a casual thing, if it's a one night stand, it's a one night stand, right? You're right. um, But if it's a casual thing or or even a relationship, when do you have that conversation? Yeah, um, I think it depends on the individual, right? Like, I mean, depending on when you're going to have sex, when you you go with that person, right? Or when you meet that person, um, I'm very upfront and forward, but I am in all aspects of my life. And so that's just me. And so I think it kind of depends, but I mean, having that conversation after you've already had sex, um, can kind of put a damper on it because it's like, oh, well, like even years afterwards. Right. And not to say that that conversation can't happen after you've already had sex and after maybe you've been with this person for years, but really recognizing that open lines of communication includes sex right Right. so it's like all aspects and so I think it depends on like your motives right for this person like are when are you going to have sex is there like conversation around that and just really deciding what's right for the both of you okay the last question that I got on here is we want to try anal but I'm scared help (laughs) (laughs) 
that. Super common question. Super normal to be scared. Uh, super common, right? Um, yeah, so I actually have an episode on my podcast all about sex, but the short answer is the person being inserted into um, should be in control, not the penis or the dildo, whatever you use to insert. Um, the ass should be in control. Do not use numbing creams. Um, a lot of people like to do it because they're like, oh, well, it's painful. Well, first of all, anal you know, shouldn't be painful. So if you if it's painful, stop. But if you're using numbing creams because in your past experiences, it's painful, you're more likely to tear and no one wants to tear their ass. Like that's not comfortable. Oh, God, that you just don't have to go terrible. to the bathroom. Like it's, that's not, oh. yeah, there's not much you could do, right? Yeah. So don't use numbing creams. Use lube. Um, I really like Uber lube for anal. It's silicone. And so you don't have to reapply it as much. Tons of lube that anus does not secrete anything for you to be able to use as a lubricant. And then definitely, you know, if you've watched anal porn before, it looks like super easy. They're like, oh, they're enjoying this, you know, whatever. But the thing is that they've prepped their ass. So if you've never done anal at all before, um, start with a finger, start with anal plugs. There's actually anal kits. If you go, I think Bayland has one. Um, it's bayland.com. It's a sex store. They have kits. So they have a bunch of different sizes of anal plugs. And so you kind of like work up to like the larger one and then you can go in and like use a penis. Um, the in and out motion is not necessarily meant for anal. You have to be very careful and diet is also important. So do, <laughs> do not go into it, like eating a bunch of spicy foods. Um, you know, I would encourage you to use about to use a bowel movement, have a bowel movement beforehand because it's going to be a lot more comfortable, um, you know, that is an area where shit can happen. And so you literally, know, literally, yeah, literally and figuratively yeah, and figuratively. Yeah, definitely. So making sure um, it's just about preparation, right? It's not just like, you know, penis and vagina sex where you can just decide to have it like the, it takes some prep time and that doesn't sound sexy, but it's also not sexy to have painful anal. So or, or painful sex in any way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> not unless, sexy. Yeah, unless that's your jam. But I mean, like, it in, yeah, definitely. It shouldn't be painful. Do you think that we are, as a society, becoming more open? And even culturally, or do you feel like we're becoming more open? Or you think we still have a long way to go? Yeah, um, yes and no. I do think we are becoming more open. And I also think that we have a long way to go. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there. The internet's great, but there's also a lot of misinformation. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, like personal morals and beliefs that really influence sex and sex education and how it's presented to people. And the fact of the matter is like, we should be able to present facts um, and it not, you know, have anything to do with your moral beliefs. Like I teach my clients, like, if you think that it's not okay to have sex before marriage, then don't have sex before marriage. Um, and that's your personal belief. Um, and just really talking about with them, like how they can incorporate like their cultural or their moral religious values and beliefs um, within, you know, a sexual context, right? It's like a yes and, and not an either or. Do you get a lot of people that debate that, like they're, they're, they have moral debate in regards to having sex as clients, or 
do you feel like they just avoid the situation completely? Yeah, I think that I have quite a few clients that have come to me that they have trouble accepting the education that I'm providing. So a lot of, so I am a coach, but a lot of what I do is provide, you know, accurate information because as we know, we're not taught at home and at school, we're not always taught, you know, comprehensive sex education if we're taught it at all. And so a lot of our sessions are spent me educating you about whatever topic you want to talk about. Um, And so for some people, it's like, wow, like me accepting the fact, like, if they accept the information that I'm giving them, then that also means that maybe their parents lied to them or they told them the wrong thing or they were lied to by maybe a church elder or, you know, something like that. And really, for some people, that can be really hard to recognize that maybe their parents lied to them or, you know, um, misguided them um, when it's not always intentional, but it doesn't make it any easier. Some people, that's really hard to digest is that their parents maybe misinform them. And that's partly why that they're experiencing these issues now. So I know you said you're a sex coach and I had last year when I first launched the podcast, um, Yael Rosenstock Gonzalez, she was on Mm -hmm. here and we talked more about like sexuality and stuff like that and very, very specific things. So we're, me and you are now talking more like Nitty gritty, the chisme, the chisme, like, uh, what do you, like, as a sex coach, people probably don't, they don't know what it is or have a different idea of what you actually do. What is it as a sex coach you actually do? So I work with people around their mindset around sex. So yes, I do give education because a lot of times people are like, I just need an answer. Like I need scientific information. And that's great. I think that you need a basis to start. But for me, working with my clients, it's really about giving their bodily autonomy back to them, right? Like you have bodily autonomy, you have the right to pleasure. And it's about almost like giving them permission in a sense, letting them know like, hey, like you are like the pleasure center of your entire body. Like your mind is what's creating all this pleasure and really giving them their power back. Um, And for some people, it's really hard to see. They think that external things are what causes their, their pleasure, but it's really your, your mind and your thoughts that are creating these um, sensations of pleasure and feel good in your body. So I'm looking at your episodes right now, just the names, because I've listened to, I haven't listened to all of them, but I am looking at a couple of them. So question, one of the episodes is called anti-blackness and racism is ruining our sex lives. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So (laughs) that, um, episode in particular was talking about how there's very much anti-Blackness in, in specific, I mean, in general, but in specifically in the Latino community and really recognizing how that impacts how we interact with one another. It can create um, rifts between families because some individuals are darker than others. It impacts about who we date, who we actually have sex with. If we decide to have sex with someone that's a darker, you know, either they are actually like African-American or something like that, or maybe Afro-Latino or something like that. And then having a child and how that really impacts um, different things. Yeah, it just creates like our advocacy for healthcare. So individuals that usually are of darker colors are, they're not given um, as much, they're not hurt as much in, you know, the uh, either the mental health profession, but also medically, like when they go to see a doctor. And so really recognizing how that impacts and that also creates a rift within the community. So instead of the Latino population really coming together 
to really, um, because in my opinion, we're kind of overlooked here in the United States. And rather than coming together and being like, hey, we're here, we're, you know, we've been here and we've been overlooked for too long, really this erasure. We're then erasing a part of our community, which is the Afro-Latino and, uh, you know, more indigenous populations within um, Latin America. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. We, our voices collectively are stronger than they are separated for sure. What is the biggest misconception that somebody has come to you with? Or what actually, no, before I have you answer that, what is the strangest question or challenge somebody has come to you with? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> question or challenge. Um, I guess like how to talk to their partners about sex because I'm like, well, I can give you advice. It's, it's, oh, I guess it wouldn't be specifically how to talk to their partners about sex, but it's the questions that are more so. So this isn't necessarily a specific question. It's more general. Um, but it's the, what is the correct answer? And I'm like, well, there's not really a correct answer. So does that answer your question? <laughs> Do people get frustrated by that? Because they want, they like you said, they want to come to you for answers. They, and you, yeah. But and, we all have our own answers, right? Right. And really helping them to recognize that. And so for some people, I think it's hard because they're like, I just want you to tell me what to do. Like, what do, move my arm here, move my leg here, like that kind of thing. And it's like, Okay. So has anybody asked you to like show them like, no, don't take your clothes off, but can you show me what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. I've had people ask, um, particularly not necessarily with a partner. I don't think I've had that question, but I've had people ask like, what are specific things that I can do to start self-pleasuring and things like that. And, you know, I give like a myriad of answers because I think it's very individualistic, but um, a lot of times people are just like, just fucking tell me what to do. And I'm like, but I can, I can tell you what to do, but then you're going to have to come to me every time you have an issue. And I really want to teach my clients to be independent, right? Like that's my goal. Like, yes, I want to work with all the people, but I also want them to work with me and then take these tools and run with them. I don't, I mean, I would love to work with you forever, but I really want you to be independent and not have to rely on me, which is like the blunt of my work, right? I really want Um, people to come to me, um, learn these tools and then move on with their lives. What is the age range of your clientele? Yeah. So, um, I have, it's weird. It's a huge range. (laughs) So it's like early twenties to like mid fifties. Um, so it's like super huge range. I think majority are probably like in their thirties, mid forties. Wow. What do you feel like what it like when somebody talks about being sexually liberated, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think that means just like letting their free flag fly and like without caring about what people think. Right. And that's not to say that you have to be. So I'm super open about sex, obviously. Like this is like my career. Um, and this is how I am like with my I know. And I've been like trying, trying to tread the uh like walk the fence um, without giving right. away too much. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm very open and if you're not open, then that's okay too. And really recognizing that that's okay. Right. Just being who you are as a sexual being, because every human being, regardless if you're having sex or not, we're born as sexual beings. That's just how it is. Just like we're mm. born as human beings. We're born as sexual beings. That's just how it is. And so 
just embracing that and embracing what you like, what you don't like, and, you know, your desires and fantasies. Ooh, and I swear, like, I, there's so much I want to say, but I'm like, I'm not prepared to put it out there like that. Because, <laughs> but I will say when it comes to my partner, which right now is an imaginary partner, because there is no partner. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah. <'cause- laughs> But like I said, in the beginning, like to me, it was, it's just very much like I've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, you know, it's an energy exchange and I want to value somebody as much as they value me before I get into another physical relationship with somebody. So that was just the, you know, I, I think I've, I've been there, done that. I've gone through my own things and I'm not ashamed of the things that I've done and I'm or, you know, or have learned from the things that maybe I would or would not do again. But then it gets to a point and everybody has to make their own decision in regards to that. But for me, I was like, if I want good things to come into my life, I need to let go of the things that don't serve me. So that's what I've done. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. So that's for me, that's where I'm at. But everybody has to make their own decision in regards to what they do. And I think it's so important to not let anybody shame you and don't shame yourself. If it's something that you've figured out that you don't want to do, then you figured it out and you just don't do it again. Right. Um, you described your life as unconventional. I can understand why, but please elaborate on why you chose that word. <laughs> unconventional. Yeah. Um, I think I'm... I guess the example that I can put out there is like, I was telling my dad about this interview that I was doing and he was like, of course he would. <laughs> like, you know, like the, it's almost like expected of me. And I think that as just like a person that met me off the street, you'd be like, you're doing what now? Like you're teaching, <laughs> like you're Latina, you're teaching people about sex. Like that's super like not traditional, I guess. Is <laughs> How did your family feel when you went into that? Like yeah, the Latino so, side of your family, how did they feel? Yeah, so I didn't necessarily like announce it, right? And I do have some family members that I just haven't told, but I I mean, I did tell my dad and he just like laughed and was like, of course you are. Like, okay. <laughs> and then my stepmom was like, you're selling dildos? I'm like, no, but thanks for asking. So she was super interested. She's super intrigued. Like if she wasn't like my mom, like she would be my client probably because she was super, you know, intrigued. Um, my sisters think I'm crazy. Like, they're just like, do you boo? But they're like, they think I'm crazy. They're like, I could never. And then it's super sweet because I have like younger cousins that are only like maybe three or four years younger than me, but they're, you know, texting me all the time. Like, Oh, I love listening to your podcast. I'm sharing it. Like my nieces. And they're just like, you know, they're in their twenties, but they're just like, you know, super excited. And so that gives me like, hope for the future populations, future generations, you know, that they're really um, embracing, you know, their sexuality and their knowledge about sex. That's so awesome. I know with me, with wine and cheese, may my family's like, duh, all of my <laughs> friends and family, they're like, that's not that's a shocker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, yeah. if I came out talking about sex, they'd be like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I remember being, wait, I remember being 21 and I was in a very serious relationship and I would spend the night at his house all the time. And then my mom, she's so crazy. I would, I wouldn't say I would spend the night at his house. I would say it because his brother 
and his I worked with his brother and his girlfriend, the brother's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I would always say, I'm going to her house. I'm going to her house. I'm going, and they lived with him. And so my mom was like, one day she's like, don't they all live together? I was like, yeah. Do you sleep on the couch? No. Do you sleep in his room? Yes. Do you sleep in the same bed as him? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I, Jay, I just don't want you to come home being friends. And or she, I think she straight out asked, like, are you having sex with him? And I was just like, why are you asking questions you don't want the answer to? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, hey, Jay, I'm too young to be a grandma. I don't want to be a grandma. <laughs> That is the closest yeah. we've ever had to a conversation because it was so awkward. And I was like, why are you asking me? Like, you know, you don't want to hear the answer. Why right. are you asking me this? And she's yeah. never asked me anything ever. Since. <laughs> <laughs> and I was 21 then and I'm 43 oh now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, never again. <laughs> never again. I think that's all I needed to say. Like, why are you asking me these questions? Right. <laughs> If people want to reach you, how can they reach you? Website, uh, social media, everything. How can they reach you? Yeah. yeah. So my website is sexandspanglish.com. You can find me on Facebook, um, Sex and Spanglish. You can find me on Instagram. That's mostly where I'm at, um, at Sex and Spanglish. She has some very interesting Instagram visuals. <laughs> Thank you. I'm always like, dang girl, okay. Unconventional, unconventional. Yes, yes, but yeah, I love it. Um, They're very creative. On, yeah, my podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, um, it's called Sex and Spanglish. It's also on a bunch of other platforms that I never remember the names to. So iTunes <laughs> and Spotify is the easiest way to find it. <laughs> and but we begin with wine and we end with wine. What is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rose? And do you have a specific brand that you like? Oh, I prefer red. I really like anything bitter, so I don't necessarily have like a brand. Um, mm. I'm just so like, you're oh, more towards like cabernets and mm-hmm. because yeah. they have a little bit more bitter taste to them. Yeah, nice. I like that. Thank you so much. I wish we had more time and I wish I was willing to, part of me wishes I was willing to share more, but I'm going to just share that privately. And uh, you have been such an amazing guest. Like I said, I've been looking forward to this all week and this is like the best way to end the week. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Come back anytime. (laughs) Well, we're going to have definitely have you brought. Next time we'll have to have more questions. I'll have to ask him ahead of time even more. (laughs) Until next time, mi gente. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Man on our website, thewineandcheesemanpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheesemint on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheesemint Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemint, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.